Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. And I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and, and everyone, everyone who, who loves, loves words. Okay, mm-hmm. we are back again to talk more about Lord of the Rings. And this week we're going to... We're going to talk more about the story, but we're also going to talk about some of the differences between the story and the film adaptations yes. and kind of the choices they made and why they made, might have made them. Um, so I'm really I'm excited to, to see your thoughts on this. I, I mean, you know, I love the movies as, as well as the books. Yes. Um, but I do think that they made some pretty good choices as far as how what they kept in and what they kept out. I mean, I was a little bit sad about... Um, what's his name? <laughs> Faramir? No. Or... Um, <laughs> In the beginning, bump. Um, oh, Tom Bombadil. Yes. yes. But it was the right Thank choice. You. Like from a writer perspective, yes. I can recognize that it, that was a bunny trail, and or like it's a side story essentially. It doesn't move the plot forward all that much. It's a complication in the movement of the plot forward. Yes. Um, and so I can recognize that it was probably a good choice to take it out, but I did always love him as a yes. kid, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and that's that's one of those things where. I agree with you. It was the right choice from a screenwriter perspective. I am glad, though, that he exists in the book as well. Because he's a... He's a beautiful character. And I think just having a character that is... That has that kind of age and wisdom and connection to the earth and growing things... He's in many ways kind of the antithesis of the great powers that are kind of trying to overshadow. And it's it's funny because they actually, in Rivendell, suggest taking the ring and leaving it with Tom Bombadil because Mm -hmm. he won't use it, but then he will forget about it. Like because it's it's so to him not something he would value or would find important. And I think there's something like intrinsic about the underlying like conversation within this yeah, story between like the love for growing things and the value for life versus kind of the value for power and the value for controlling yeah. things. And he's, I never thought of it that way, yeah. but I think that's a really great point. He's just and he comes right when he's needed as well. Like, there's these beautiful moments where, you know, even before the, like, story really has yeah. gotten started, <laughs> where all appears to be lost. Uh-huh. And I even like how he interacts with the tree. Like, he's talking to the tree and saying, you know, drink deep and kind of soothing the tree back to sleep. And... There's elements there that I just think are kind of beautiful, even if it takes, you know, 40 pages to kind of go through that yeah. part of the story. I wouldn't I wouldn't want him to cut it out. Yeah. Like, if I were someone reading that story, I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, it, yeah. it might stop the, like, <laughs> like, the, like, movement forward. But it's almost like this beautiful respite. You, you have, like, they're being chased by by writers but they have a moment of kind of rest yeah yeah, kind of calm and even joy there before they have to go out again but I think it's interesting to me that like um, from a writer perspective 
I would, if I was editing this book, I would recommend someone take that out. Yeah. Not, and I think some of it is that very few people can actually pull that off. And I think he does pull it yes. off. Yes. Like, they're... Yes. Because of how the story is done, and um, those are the kinds of little things and, like, side things that people geek out over. Yes. But it has to be really done well. Yes. And most writers who attempt it, I don't think... I don't think it's done well enough, even yes. if it's done well. Like, I don't know this well enough. And I think also we live in a very different Absolutely. time and age. So I think it, yeah, I think it was the right choice to get out of the movie, kept the pacing up. Like, the, the pacing in the movie is much faster than the pacing in the book. Absolutely. I mean, we talked last week about the timeline, and I think some of that is the timeline being shortened, but yes. also some of it is just con- condensing yeah. of things. And I, with that, having that constant, the writers never really disappear. Like, you have... As they're leaving the yes. Shire, they're being like mm-hmm. the second that you see that one appear, where yeah. it's walking behind the tree, and you really get the sense of fear mm-hmm. and what's at stake there. Yeah. They're pursued the entire way, and that really makes yes. a part that could be a drudgery yes. into like it's clippy, yeah. and they even keep the moments in between really short like even the run to buckleberry ferry is really short like significantly short but you get the fear of it yeah that tension never leaves and and i think that's really important i mean as writers to remember like stakes and and tension drive readers forward it does i'm I'm reading something right now where like i got to the 25 percent mark and the stakes just like disappear and i was like i don't want to keep reading this there's nothing there there's no tension anymore Absolutely, and I think that's a great point, that you can set up stakes, Mm -hmm. but if they are not overhead, if there is not the reminder of some form, Mm -hmm. either external or internal, that they exist, I think the reader forgets that they're there, and it almost feels like all of a sudden your story has lost kind of that guardrail of, this is why, Mm -hmm. this is why we're (laughs) like being driven (laughs) through that. And I, I do think in the book itself, there are the writers, and then they disappear. Yeah. And then you get someone else. Yeah. So it does move it. But as you said, those, those, there are sections where it's like all of a sudden you almost forget. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's gone. But he does get away with it because those parts... Are so interesting. They are. And they are. You know, like that's the the number one rule, right? Like, the yes. only rule I think you really need to follow as a writer is yes. don't bore your reader. It has to be yes. interesting. And as long as it's interesting, you can get away with breaking any other rule. Absolutely. Um, but it's hard to make something interesting. Yeah. Well, and the characters in this book yes. are so interesting, diverse, Yes. in that they are from a bunch of different pockets of this world, yeah. with a bunch of different perspectives. You have, even if they're all hobbits, they're very different hobbits. And I think what the film does really well as well was capture those things Mm -hmm. and maybe also play up certain aspects Mm -hmm. of them. I think they, you know, we talk about being dialed up to 10. And I think they did a great job of taking what was on the page and then maybe turning that up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you, you get... Yeah. that boil down into the essence so you get and some people may not like who Aragorn is in the film mm-hmm. I actually really like that he has those doubts like yeah. I like that he's very like 
open about it as well. And he does have doubts on the page. It's just maybe not as much. Yeah. But even, even from a story perspective, taking Aragorn and having that type of character who does doubt like their abilities and then forcing them into <laughs> situations where they have to like act in ways counter to them well you get such great yeah. character arcs then you know yeah. like all of these characters change in the course of this journey and yes. and it would not be as interesting to read if they didn't um and you get i think because it is condensed a little bit you get those and because some of those things are teased out a little bit more yeah. you get in the movie even more of that sense of change and growth i think yeah and one of the things they also do really well is, I think, on the page, we don't get as much of the Smeagol versus Gollum dynamic. And the way they brought out his character in the film, where they actually shift camera angle between the two. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. that. And the eyes go from, like, being really dilated and open and, like, that having that Smeagol sweetness yeah, to, the, yeah. to it. At it's least in... Since I've seen the movies. Yeah. <laughs> now you're making me want to go watch Go watch, watch them. I was like, oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> it's clever. And it's, it's an amazing way of showing two different characters within the same body, yeah. which sometimes that's hard, too, is yeah. translating something that is, you know, you accept, like, the okay, this character is at war with itself. Yeah. But to be able to show it in such a visual yeah. way was yeah. really quite amazing especially when those and, and I think it's amazing what Andy Circus does between the two voices as well to kind of differentiate the two when they're having arguments with each other yeah. um, I think that brought out and I think they did a really great job of kind of this of just bringing out that character's yes. interesting conflict mm-hmm. I don't know about you but one of the <laughs> we have to mention this because like one of the biggest debates I think of people who are when they're talking about the films of the Lord of the Rings I think the biggest change that they made was with the decisions in the two towers where they have three characters Treebeard, Theoden and Faramir all make different decisions than they do in the book where they kind of reject the call. Theoden wants to they call it kind of hide in Helm's Deep rather than going there from a point of strength Treebeard and the Ents don't go to war at first mm-hmm. like they just sit counseling um, and Faramir really does attempt to take the ring yeah. and I yeah, definitely have about? opinions on that do you have any thoughts or do you want me to go with mine first <laughs> my, my thoughts are from a story perspective yes. I think it's really smart Yes, I, I do think too. It follows the, uh, it follows a tried and true story. Yes, you know, like it follows kind of that um, hero's journey, that three act structure, like all of yes. that. It just follows it a little stronger than the than the other choices. And we need, I think, for myself, I really love seeing, like, part of that character arc. You yes. have to see the character fail a little bit in order yes. to see them then succeed and really root for them when they make the right choice. And when you can see that contrast, I mean, we've talked about contrast before. Absolutely. It makes the change stand out even more. Yes. Um, and feel even more powerful. So personally, I'm, I'm in favor of it. 
And I, so what's interesting is there's two different me's. I'm like yeah. Smeagol and Gollum, I guess. Um, there's me from when I saw it. And the me from when I saw it was disappointment, especially in Faramir, because I love his character. Yeah, he was one of my yeah. favorite characters. I do so, remember being upset about that one yeah, when I saw it. It was disappointing, like, from that perspective, because I, f- I do feel like the character lost something yes, yeah. in the translation. And he has so few scenes that... Yeah. I don't think he was ever really fully represented, at least in the theatrical yeah, version. Yeah. Treebeard, I think that I was kind of neutral about. And Theoden, I just kind of was annoyed that they reframed it. But watching it again, yeah. looking at it from a story perspective, I completely agree with you um, now. Like yeah. the, the me now is like, as I was preparing for this, I'm like... Really, even over the last several years, I've been thinking about it. And I'm like, oh no, I like, <laughs> I, I think they made the right choice, yeah. and I, I think, also, especially since this is in the film, it's a trilogy rather than an epic. Yeah. They do have to have like you do have to. You have to have that climax. Follow, yeah. Yeah. Those and even um, the death of Boromir is moved up because. You have to have that moment. And of course you have to have that moment. He's taking arrows and fighting for the... like. It's truly this epic hero moment. Moment of kind of being able to end on this note that, yes, he made a terrible mistake. like, And his choice has rippling effects, but he kind of is able to, in some way, redeem himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that change, I think changing this to give them places to go, because as you said, like, you can't just have it on the same plane, you have to have the up and the down. Mm -hmm. And you do have to have like, those moments where there is change like each single one where all of a sudden the character changes like the conversation where mary is like you're part of this world aren't you like it's one of the best lines in the entire thing and you get that moment because of it you get that moment of at the end like theoden when all hope is lost you have and they're like dwindling down to who's you know even yeah. barring this gate you have then the writers come at you know at sunrise which the choice to leave out the trees one like my like nerd self was like where are the trees yeah. although they are in the extended version but i think it was the right choice because i think it would for an audience to be like what's happening what people are just disappearing into trees like it it didn't have it probably wouldn't have had the same impact as Mm -hmm. the writers writing down (laughs) yeah it's one of those differences where i think it's better on the page than it is in actuality Mm -hmm. and you know as we talked about my disappointment with faramir i think that scene Mm -hmm where Faramir's change is the the strongest probably in the entire mm-hmm. films when Sam gets to say, you know, yeah. why why are we even doing this? Like, what's the point of all of this? You know, it feels like so many 
things have been stripped away at that point. And it's like, because there's some good in this world Mm. and it's worth fighting for. Mm. And to have then Faramir's character hear that and see what's at stake with the Nazgul, I think that does such a great job of then setting up going into the next part, which is all the drudgery and the crawling <laughs> on your like knees yeah. to get to the end. Yeah. Like, cause you, you need, you need that moment of like almost reflection yes. of like, why do we even want to go through all that that's coming? <laughs> yes. For us that, too. Yeah, <laughs> even as the reader, as the audience the viewer, we need to know like, why is this <laughs> worth watching? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think sometimes as writers, we fear, um, we fear like being too hard on our characters or letting that, like we want everyone to love our characters, so yes. we don't want them to make the wrong choice. Right. And yes. I think it's actually so much stronger sometimes to let them make the wrong choice and to like, and and surprisingly, those are often the characters that, that the audience really falls in love with. Yes. Um, because we want to see people who fail. Um, because we feel like we fail, right? So we want to see people who fail that we can relate to and then see them rise above that failure. Yes. Um, And see them make different choices or or see them change in some way or have some redemption in their story. I I absolutely agree with that. And I I do think that in some ways when when you don't give them those failures, when you don't give them those moments where they stumble, then... It waters down the stakes. Yeah, and exactly. and that I think was also one of the fears of if you show these characters the ring and it has no impact on them, yeah. what does it say about the ring the itself? The ring's not as powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think then in the situations in which you have characters who resist, yeah. like in the case of Galadriel, yeah. or when you have Aragorn who doesn't even want it near him, you then kind of get yeah. That that takes something like that's yeah, not just easy. Right. Yeah, well, and then it makes that that character stand out even more because you yes. can see it in contrast to the, to the characters who haven't succeeded in that. Absolutely, yeah. I think one more thing that I'd like to talk about mm-hmm. with this is they in the film they decide to kind of center several characters that weren't as much yeah. centered and I'm talking about Eowyn and Arwen yeah. and and Galadriel as well mm-hmm. like who really with being the narrator yeah. um her role was expanded and I think it was ingenious yeah I agree mm-hmm. it's true and and really the women in general in mm-hmm. the book are poorly represented yes <laughs> while I love them still yes they, they are very minor have very minor roles and I yes. really appreciate in the in the movies that that they were teased out a little bit more. They're still not, you know, like, this is still a pretty male-centered, male-centered world, yes. world to the story. But, Absolutely. <laughs> but I I think in teasing them out a little more, I loved them even more. And, yes. You know, and they meant a lot to me, especially in that, like, college season. And I, especially with Eowyn herself, I think, um, the fact that she was so present in so many scenes, even when... She, she's she only meant, yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And that you get what her kind of feelings, it, that we go into her emotions a lot yeah. and her viewpoint, her perspective, 
we're actually like she's framed an awful lot throughout when we look kind of even at Rohan at first yeah. uh, and even the things with with Wormwood and the loss of Theodred and there's a lot of things there that I think sets up who she is what her struggle has been that she's gonna make eventually absolutely and I think that actually really builds up to that end sequence Mm -hmm. where she faces off with the Nazgul the king you know the, the leader of them and when he says that, you know, no man can, so good. can kill me, and she gets to say, "I am no man." Yeah. It it makes that so wonderful because yeah, so potent, right? <laughs> and even her struggle against all the different characters who keep trying to keep her away from it, and. For reasons, like we know what their reasons are, but we're also glad that she ignores them. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> She's my favorite character. She's absolutely mine like, too. Just... Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think I think coming to that story mm-hmm. without her character, I'm not sure if it would have connected in the same way. Like yeah. the the film. Um but having her there made me love and I I love fellowship. I think it's yeah. I think it's actually like just great storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think the way it runs is wonderful. The surprises, the ups and downs, like it's just beautifully done, paced, all of that. Mm-hmm. I still think like in my heart I enjoy the other two. A little bit more because there is that interest because there is is a character that I'm like oh she's cool like she brings out the sword and she you know says her line about I fear a cage and you're like oh my goodness like I didn't know this was a thing like especially in college just not like right pierce me right to the heart (laughs) absolutely And it drew me in. Like, it it pierced my heart. It connected with something that I think very intrinsically was yeah. something that I fear as well. Yeah. And it made me just connect with her journey mm-hmm. so well. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, that line is one of those moments, too, where, like, those times when you don't even know you, you totally fear something and some, tell someone else puts yes. it into words and you're like, oh. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I feel that, or, you know. Yes. And we talked about that with other books too. Like, just when a writer or a book or a line can um, relate to you in a way that puts language to something you didn't have language for um, before. Yeah. Okay. One other thing, just yes. like a little tangential mm-hmm. um, tangent. I have not seen the remake of the Hobbit movie. Yes. Thaddeus and I just started watching the first one last <laughs> night. And, okay, everything... So, I'm, we're only, like, halfway into the first one. Yes. <laughs> I already am super upset. Yeah. Because everything we've talked about with the transition from book to movie in yes. Lord of the Rings, about how they've condensed it and how yes. that helped, I feel like they did the exact opposite they did. in The Hobbit. And, yes. And that's never a good choice in the story. Absolutely. Well, and can I give you a little more information, yeah, too? Yeah. Um, so, originally, Guillermo del Toro was going to be doing it. Okay. And he, so he's the same um, 
he did Pacific Rim and uh, the the kind of grim Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had to drop out um, to do another project really close to when the start of filming was happening. So Peter Jackson took over again and basically they kind of just had to film. Uh-huh. Andy Circus actually did some filming with it. And so they were filming things that were disconnected from the script that were kind oh, of more general um, throughout kind of the filming because he was like the second, you know, the other uh-huh. side. So <laughs> it was done in a much quicker, less thought out, less... Uh-huh. I mean, they they did have the three parts, I think potentially for money reasons. <laughs> like yeah. That's no, how my I think, take. That's the only yeah. reason I can think to do that. Yeah. Because it is never, my personal opinion is it's never a good idea to expand a story beyond Absolutely. the story itself. And it's always a good idea to condense. Because yes. condensing, like cutting words, cutting scenes, yes. like condensing makes the story flow faster. And audiences like when a story flows yes. faster. You want to keep that tension up, keep that pacing up. Yes. Um, especially in this day and age. Absolutely. And, yeah. Well, and for The Hobbit, like, if they wanted to keep everything in, they probably could have made it in two films, like, yeah. and still well, had absolutely. like that kind of. Well, and, a, yeah, you get yeah. A mid, like midpoints are often right. very similar to climaxes. So absolutely, you can often divide a story into two parts. But you could even do that with the ring. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's that's. It was one of those choices that I was disappointed in as yeah. well, and I yeah. I do think it was a situation in which I think a love for the story and a very close like care for the story led the way with the first. You know, with the Lord of the Rings translation, and I do think that with The Hobbit, because they had made commitments to, for it to come out at a certain time, yeah. I don't think it was there. And I, I think that's true with every single film in that, unfortunately, sorry, in that trilogy. Um, and yeah, I still want to finish it and see you absolutely know, what they did with it, but it was it was very clear even just from that beginning that, that yeah they've. Um, that they hadn't handled it as well. Yeah. I, I think there's some things that are intriguing and interesting yeah. about it. And there were a couple choices that I'm like, oh, that's an interesting thing. Like mm-hmm. the elf and the, um, like there's an elf and a dwarf moment um, that later on is interesting and a, an interesting yeah. choice since we've heard about it. Um, other things like a man and an, you know, an, an elf. Mm-hmm. Um, being in love mm-hmm. um, but yeah it was one of those things that I think the story felt muddy to me um, just in general yeah. and I, I do wonder if it had to do with time and the amount of things that they could do to prepare yeah it's interesting mm-hmm. it's always fascinating to see how um, movie adaptations change and vary yeah. from books so I am glad that you joined us, and we will be talking more about this story next week, so I hope you join us again. Um, And keep reading and writing and comparing movies and books. (laughs) (laughs) And keep putting your voice out into the world.